Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wounded Blue Hour with your host, Randy Sutton. I'm a 34-year police veteran, 10 years with the Princeton, New Jersey Police Department, 24 of the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department, the author of A Cop's Life, several other books, and the soon-to-be-released Rescuing 911, The Fight for America's Safety. I'm also the founder of the Wounded Blue, the national assistance and support organization for injured and disabled law enforcement officers. This show is dedicated to the physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being and safety of America's law enforcement community. And it is brought to you by the Wounded Blue. So thank you for joining me again this week. And before we get uh, into the conversation with our guest, because you know I always bring an interesting guest, unless I, unless I get on my soapbox and I just have to go off by myself. But I have a guest waiting for us today. So first of all, let us do what we do um, every beginning of every show, and that is our end of watch. This is our reality check. Uh, we eulogize the law enforcement officers who have given the ultimate sacrifice, given their lives in the line of duty in the last week or so. So uh, to start off with uh, this very, very sad very, very sad death of um, one officer and the critical injuries of several others. Police officer Jake Wallen of the Fargo Police Department in North Dakota. Police officer Jake Wallen was shot and killed while he and other officers investigated a traffic crash at the intersection of 25th Street and 9th Avenue at about 2.45 p.m. While officers were on the scene, a male subject opened fire without warning on the officers, firefighters, and bystanders. Officer Wallen was killed. Two other officers critically wounded, and a bystander was also wounded. Officer Wallen's field training officer was able to return fire and killed the suspect. Officer Wallen was a Minnesota Army National Guard veteran and uh, a veteran of the Operation Enduring Freedom. He had served with the Fargo Police Department for just three months. He was completed, completing field training at the time of his death. He was survived by his mother, father, brother, grandparents, and fiance. Police officer Jake Wallen, Fargo, North Dakota Police Department. End of watch, Friday, July 14th, 2023. The next is police officer Anthony Ferguson of the Almagorde Police Department in New Mexico. Police officer Anthony Ferguson succumbed to a gunshot wound he received during a foot pursuit of a subject who fled the scene of a vehicle accident at about 2 a.m. Officers attempted a traffic stop when they noticed a subject driving a vehicle without headlights or taillights. While the vehicle sped away, officers did not initiate a pursuit. But about a mile away, the vehicle crashed into a pole at 1st and Delaware Avenue. After the subject fled on foot, Officer Ferguson pursued the man. The subject pulled out a shotgun and fired, hitting Officer Ferguson in the face. Another officer returned fire and struck the subject. Officer Ferguson was flown to UMC El Paso where he succumbed to his wounds the next day. The subject was treated at the hospital and been charged with an attempt to commit first degree murder, aggravated battery on a police officer with a deadly weapon, etc., etc. Subject had fired at officers January of 2023 and had been released on bail. 
Officer Ferguson has served the Alamogordo Police Department for 11 years. He is survived by his daughter, son, mother, father, and four brothers. Police Officer Anthony Ferguson, Alamogordo Police Department, New Mexico. End of watch Sunday, July 16th, 2023. The next is Sergeant Edwin Maldondo Garcia of the Puerto Rico Police Department. Sergeant Edwin Mondaldo Garcia was struck and killed by a vehicle on the expressway near Isla Verde, Puerto Rico at about 8.15 p.m. He was in uniform driving to work when he observed several citizens attempting to rescue a kitten from the middle of the highway. He stopped his vehicle to assist but was struck by an oncoming car as he tried to rescue the kitten. Sergeant Maldonado Garcia had served with the Puerto Rico Police Department for 30 seven years and was assigned to Internal Security Division. He is survived by his wife and child. Sergeant Ed Edwin Maldondo Garcia, Puerto Rico Police Department, end of watch Wednesday, July 19th, 2023. And the final for today is Deputy Sheriff David Bosecker of the Eastland County Sheriff's Office in Texas. Deputy Sheriff David Bosecker was shot and killed while responding to a domestic violence call along Highway 183. As he arrived on the scene, a male subject opened fire on him, fatally wounding him. Other officers responded and took the subject into custody. He has been charged with capital murder. Deputy Bosecker has served with the Eastland County Sheriff's Office for two years, served in law enforcement for 21 years previously served the Wise County Sheriff's Office, Texas, Alcoholic Beverage Commission, Texas, Wildlife Department, and Comanche Police Department. He also worked as a part-time Marine officer for the Cisco Police Department. Deputy Sheriff David Bosecker, Eastland County Sheriff's Office in Texas, end of watch Friday, July 21st, 2023. Each of these officers gave their lives in the line of duty, serving and protecting their communities. So, in addition to that, those are only the line of duty deaths, murders that took place, and line of duty deaths that took place in the last couple of weeks. In addition to that, more than 200 police officers have been shot since the beginning of the year. That is literally um, one every day. That doesn't count the upwards of 60,000 police officers who were physically assaulted in the line of duty last year. Um, it is a highly dangerous profession. It's getting more dangerous as the criminal justice system begins to erode in many, many areas of our nation. May these officers rest in peace. So let's bring in my guest. My guest is John Malone. John uh, is a former police officer. He served as a, uh, in uh, Pennsylvania as a police officer. He's also a veteran of the United States military. He is the president and founder of Murphy Police and Military Equipment. And he is an inventor. And I've, uh, I, he's got, a, an, as you know, on this show, everything we do is, is based on the safety of our law enforcement officers. And uh, what he has invented uh, will, will, uh, You'll be, it'll be very apparent while I invited him, why I invited him to the show. So, John, thank you so much for joining me here today at the uh, Wounded Blue Hour. Hey, Randy. 
Thank you. Uh, the numbers you just went over are staggering, and um, the statistics you share every week on your uh, your cast here is exactly why I did what we did, so I can affect those numbers in a positive way. And we're going to get into a couple of stories because you you've. Um, this is a very personal mission for you, and we'll talk about that. But first, give us a little bit of background uh, of you and who you, you know, talk about your, uh, uh, where you grew up and why you joined the military and then the police. Sure, be glad to. Um, pretty typical. I was an Army brat. My uh, father and uh, both of his twin brothers were all military veterans. My father served 36 years in the Army as a field artilleryman. He uh, got his start back in World War II. Uh, hey, wait he a minute, he, he served for 36 years? 36 years, yeah. Holy cow, wow. He was one of those guys that back in the day, uh, you know, uh, when you talk about the greatest generation, he was part of this. He was one of these guys that at the age of 17 lied about his age uh, because of what was going on during that period. And he volunteered to join the military uh, to go fight in World War II. And that career, that decision, right, led him through 36 years of active duty service through World War II, Korea, and Vietnam. So uh, that's what I grew up in. I grew up with a uh, military family, bounced all over the globe as a child, you know, from all of his different duty stations. Uh, that obviously instilled in me a uh, sense of duty in myself. So when I went to college, I joined ROTC and uh, was commissioned into the military as an armor officer through ROTC. So uh, that's where I got my start in uh, service to this country. All right. So you uh, you began. Uh, how long did you do in the military? I served four years as an armor officer in the U.S. Army. Okay. Then you got out and uh, you joined the. Uh, what was the name of the police department that you joined in Pennsylvania? Right. We have a city police department here in York, PA, and uh, I joined the police department uh, within the year that I retired or left the, the Army and uh, very proudly served about seven and a half years before I went on to uh, some civilian stuff. Okay. So um, the size of the agency in Pennsylvania, how, how many officers? Our department uh, averages about 120 active officers. Okay, so you did uh, you did some time there, and then you went off into the business world. Um, mm -hmm. I'm sure that the pay and the, at the uh, York Police Department um, was uh, not commensurate with uh, with with le with living a, a good life. Oh man, are you kidding? I was making uh, I was I was living the high life. I started off at sixteen thousand five hundred dollars a year, <laughs> and uh, when I left, I was making a whopping twenty-one thousand five hundred dollars a year. <laughs> gotcha. So, what was your first business? Uh, well, when I left the police department, um, really wanted to change direction and um, do something else. That change of direction actually came uh, because of a medical incident from my mother. Uh, back then, uh, my mother has since passed, but uh, back then my wife and I were, you know, going over some discussion ideas of what to do next. And uh, in the middle of these discussions, my mother had a stroke. Uh, several months after her first stroke, uh, we started to see some serious changes in her where she basically forgot who all nine of her children were. 
and um, didn't understand what that meant, didn't understand what we were about to go through. And uh, that kind of led my wife and I into this journey that we took for the last 20 years now of uh, taking care of people with stroke concerns. We learned what dementia, Alzheimer's, all of those sort of things were. And we started a business as a franchise offering. We started a business here in Pennsylvania to take care of folks who have had strokes, who have had and developed dementia and Alzheimer's and those other sort of medical conditions. And uh, we started providing services with a nursing staff for in-home care through Pennsylvania and Maryland to, to um, you know, give them the best life they can for what they had left. Right. Well, I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but I am a stroke survivor myself. I understand the, mm. the devastation of that and, the, and how frightening it can be to, um, to be afflicted by a stroke. It's a, that's what actually what ended my. That's what actually well, ended my police career. Wow, I did not know that. Unfortunately, about two years almost to the day of my mother's first stroke, she had another that took her life. Well, so, uh, for anyone who survives them, I've I've seen what they can do on both sides, obviously, from the business. But uh, yeah, wow. No, I did not know that about you. So let's get into where you are now. You uh, are the founder of a of a military and police equipment company, but you're also mm -hmm. the inventor of something that is uh, really, a, you know, something that's been around policing since the early, early days, but you have a new twist on it. Let's talk about that. I do. I um, During my time in service, uh, I had a few instances where bad guys got out of my handcuffs. Uh, I was issued a pair of cuffs like everybody else at the academy, and uh, taught how to use them, but uh, unfortunately I didn't know their vulnerabilities until I started using them. And uh, my very first occasion where I had a failure in the use of these restraints um, was one evening I, um, I had gotten a call for a gentleman who uh, had had a disagreement with a certain young lady of the night. Um, apparently an exchange of, uh, of payment was not properly made between the two of them and they got into a bit of a discussion. So I got called to mediate that discussion. Well, uh, in that I, of course, ended up arresting the individual for, uh, for, what, <laughs> for what that discussion was supposed to be about. Well, on the way back to City Hall, where, we, uh, where our police department is located, um, I was transporting this individual in an unmarked police unit, no cage. Uh, before I got back to the department, he had gotten out of his handcuffs and proceeded to choke me out from the back seat. Wow. Um, that was my first of about four experiences in my time in service where I uh, said, you know, the, these things are not as safe as they're supposed to be. So long story short, I had had an idea that, okay, these, these things are a problem. I need to fix them. I started doing some research into, um, you know, when and how these were put together. And I found a lot of information. What we are using today, still in service today, is a design that was actually uh, invented in 1912. Uh, the design actually was very revolutionary. Prior to what is known as the swing through cuff, when an officer had to you know, engage somebody, they would have to unlock the handcuff, the old style, put it around the wrist, and then relock it. Uh, that mechanism, of course, as you can imagine, could be somewhat difficult at 2 o'clock in the morning if uh, 
individual you're looking at putting in these things doesn't want them on. So the invention of the modern handcuff was quite revolutionary. Well, long story short, they were put into service in 1913. Today, the same thing is being used. Now, here's the caveat for all this. In 100 plus years, no improvements have been made in the, the design for this, even though just about, I would imagine, every officer who's used them, certainly those who've had failures with them, knows what their vulnerabilities are. I've spoken to the guys who actually manufacture these, several of the companies that manufacture these here in the U.S. They're all aware of the, the uh, flaws. Unfortunately, none of them are uh, willing to do anything about them. So I took it upon myself to uh, sit down and do something. Wait, before, this, we go, before we go into that, sure. I, in reading your bio, I actually learned a little bit that, that I, had, I had absolutely no um, uh, information on relative to the history of the handcuff. Let's, let's talk a little bit about you know, when, when these handcuffs uh, or restraints that, that are similar to handcuffs have been in use for literally centuries. Yeah, since the Romans. The Romans are the first, um, really, the first people to use restraints in this manner. Uh, prior to the Romans inventing uh, bracelets, is what they were called back then, uh, if you wanted to you know, restrain somebody, you had to tie them up. So the Romans were pretty inventive, as they were in so many other things, and they came up with bronze, if you want to call them, handcuffs. Uh, it was a single handcuff. Uh, they later did add a second handcuff because most people have two hands. But it started out <laughs> as a single handcuff, you know, where uh, the individual was cuffed and locked. And then the trooper, in this case, uh, you know, a member of the Roman uh, army, would hold the other side of the handcuff, whether it was a chain or a T-bar, to then guide that individual. Well, over the centuries, it took a while for that to uh, that design to <laughs> really improve. But you can imagine uh, in today's uh, modern age, if if you had one handcuff on an individual and they had a second hand free, uh, the consequences could be kind of rough. Well, that design really lasted until the late 1800s before some revolutionary changes started coming into play where we had now a locking mechanism for a handcuff that actually, you know, encompassed both the left and the right hand. And uh, those were just prior. Actually, the revolution in that in the late 1800s came within about four years of each other for these multiple designs until this swing through design hit again back in 1912. Fascinating. Okay. Um, now let's go back to you. You recognize the flaws and your inquiring mind uh came up with uh, with uh, some ideas to um, actually revolutionize this industry. So let's talk about how did you how did you come up with this and and you know tell us yeah. a little bit about the process. Well, the process really, um, to be honest, when I left police work and I got into um, you know private ownership, business ownership, kind of lost it for a little while. You know, I had other things to do uh, with the medical business. Back in 2016, if you recall, um, outside of Atlanta, two convicted felons were being transported by deputies for med supposedly medical purposes to get them uh, you know, checked out at a local hospital and they had to be removed from the institution. During that transport, these guys got out of their handcuffs and murdered the two deputies. 
when this happened, it infuriated me. And it also inspired me and in really sparked this memory I had that when I was on duty, I have an idea to make these things better so that, of course, bad guys can't get out of them. And we actually joked about this a couple of times on duty when these things happen that, you know, these things are supposed to be made for us to decide when the bad guy gets out of them, not for when the bad guy decides to get out of them. So what I did was I, uh, I have a friend of mine, um, Bill Henry, who is a uh, Penn State graduate engineer. I called Bill up and I said, look, Bill, I have this idea to take this handcuff design from the 1912s and really modernize it. And here's what I want to do. The old style, the modern enough, is a single actuating locking mechanism. In other words, as you're familiar with, the key that we use is known as a single flag. When you insert that key into the handcuff, all is, is actuating single point of contact, single point of resistance, locking bar. So basically the locking bar goes like this. That's it. That's as simple as it is. Not difficult to defeat. Every bad guy in the world knows how to do it with a paper clip, a piece of wood. You can jam, you know, fabric into the teeth, whatever, to um, shim this thing. If you don't have a key and you don't want to make one, you can buy one on Amazon. I mean, the flaws are ridiculous. So here's what I did. I sat down and I said, look, I have this design to take this design idea to take a single locking mechanism and make it a multi-faceted locking mechanism that now takes four independent actions to occur simultaneously for this thing to unlock. So what I did was I sat down with Bill because I can't draw a straight line. And I said, <laughs> Bill, here's the concept I have. And it's, it's kind of funny. I'm a cliche in respect to this, the beginning of this design, because yes, I literally sat down with my friend at a restaurant and drew on a napkin, the design for the locking mechanism. Wow. Um, and I said, here was what, what, what I want. I want a triple locking bar that is on multiple planes being individually supported by a new spring design that also allows for three independent points of contact, points of resistance. And that's where it all started. So what I designed was a locking mechanism that now uses a key that looks somewhat familiar to our standard single flag handcuff key. Only my handcuff key, the Murphy key, has three flags on it. So if you look at it, it kind of looks like a duck's foot. And when you look at the uh, handcuff itself and the keyway, if you can see on here, the keyway kind of looks like a duck's foot too. So that keyway literally uh, is what is revolutionary about this. So what happens? Well, these work exactly the same way as the old style handcuffs that we're using. You put them on, they swing through, right? Pretty simple. Swing through, lock somebody in. What's happening is inside here. That key is inserted. The first flag will intersect at the two outside locking bars. The center flag of those three will intersect the middle locking bar. But again, these are on different planes. But there's a fourth action that must occur other than those two locking bars on the outside and the center bar being depressed at the same time. And that's my secret sauce that I will not reveal. <laughs> but, uh, but here's the best thing about the design. I've, I've had this thing uh, now patented. And uh, obviously, since I have some here sitting on my desk, I have prototypes made. Here's the greatest thing that happened to me this year. Uh, which was, you know, you've heard the term proof of concept. Here's my proof of concept. 
I've got the handcuffs. Everything works beautifully. Well, I was at uh, the SHOT Show in January in Las Vegas this year. And at SHOT Show, while I was up in the LE section, there was a gentleman there who is a professional locksmith. And I stopped by his booth and I started chatting with him about all the different locks he had laid out on his table. And he was telling me how awesome he is. And he can pick every kind of security lock here. And he was going through some demos. Well, I pulled out my old peerless handcuffs that I carried for duty. And I said, can you unlock these? And he kind of laughed a little bit. And he said, yeah, absolutely. I can get in those in a couple of seconds. I said, yep. Yeah. Pulled out the Murphy cuff. I said, can you, can you get these open? Oh, yeah, yeah, no worries. Randy, I'm very proud to tell you. <laughs> I stood there with him for 20 minutes. He could not unlock my cuffs. And then the best part of that conversation was he started to explain to me how my cuffs must be made. He was wrong. He was wrong. He was guessing it. Okay, well, it has to be this or that because I couldn't do this and I couldn't do that. And I just smiled. And I said, you know what? Here's a double proof of concept. I have taken an idea that was put into play in 1912, which was a great and revolutionary item, and I have updated it to save lives. And again, when you hit all those those notes at the beginning of the broadcast about officers down and end of watch guys, this is why I did it. So many, un unfortunately, the NIJ does not you know, register these numbers. Okay, um, Unfortunately, I'm going to have to hold up right now because we have a hard break and uh, keep that in mind. We'll be back in just a couple minutes. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Trouble concentrating or recalling information is frustrating, embarrassing, and kills productivity. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created Focus and Recall to boost your brain power. And unlike other supplements that don't work, Focus and Recall is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients to help you immediately sharpen focus and strengthen recall. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD out loud. 
Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. AmericaOutloud.com, seven amazing years. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio, the liberty and justice for all. One Nation Coffee. One Nation Coffee. Patriotic, uh, veteran-owned, very, very good coffee. I actually went down and visited their roasting facility and met with the folks down there, uh, John and his crew, and they are amazing people. The coffee is delicious. You order it online, they bring it right to your house. You can get the ground coffee, you can get beans. I like to grind my own. They've got uh, also got these, uh, you know, the the containers that you put in your Kerrig or whatever that thing is called. So um, One Nation Coffee, go to One Nation coffee.com order your coffee and uh you'll get great coffee and you'll be supporting uh, a patriotic company that supports the wounded blue so uh go to one nation coffee.com So we've been uh, interviewing John Malone, who I'll bring back in just a couple of minutes. Um, and I, I want to talk to you about another product. And this uh, this is a different kind of safety, because everything we talk about on the show is about, about officer safety. So I want you to think about this. How easy is it to find you and your personal information online? Well, I'm here to tell you, it's a lot easier than I thought. Um, I was uh, I was given this information by the uh, the founder of OfficerPrivacy.com, retired police lieutenant Pete James. And Pete, smart guy, he uh, realized that that it, it is so incredibly easy to find your personal information where you live. Uh, and and as a police officer, we know that there are there are the the vermin out there who are trying to do everything to make you less safe. So think about this. You want to protect yourself. You want to protect your family. You want They, they actually go onto the internet and scrub the information from the internet that is related to your identifying information. Um, they And everybody he employs is, uh, is a former police officer. So he keeps it all in the family. It's amazing stuff that he's they found so many references. They to- he told me where I lived, told me the cars I drive. It was really frightening. And so I am a proud client of OfficerPrivacy.com. So go check them out. You owe it to yourself. You owe it to your family. If you if you are a cop or you have been, remember, you got enemies out there. And with all, all the the uh, doxing that's been going, out, going on uh, relative to law enforcement officers, you want to do everything you can to keep you and your family safe. So go to officerprivacy.com, check them out. It's not expensive, and it is very, very worthwhile. So, uh, and of course, officerprivacy.com is a proud sponsor of the Wounded Blue. So go check them out, officerprivacy.com. We will also talk about the third annual National Law Enforcement Survival Summit that is going to be coming up 
in Las Vegas, September 26th through the 29th. This is, if you have one law enforcement conference to go to this year, this is the one you want to go to. I've got Dave Grossman, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman, one of the most sought after speakers in the country. I've got Dave and Betsy Smith, also known as Buck Savage, one of the pioneers of police training, and Betsy Smith, who has uh, been training cops for literally decades. I literally have the A-list. Every aspect of surviving a law enforcement career, physically, tactically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, relationships, um, it is, it is, it is, I'm telling you right now, the best, most important training conference that you can go to as a cop. Um, it is literally life altering because you will hear some of the most incredible stories and see some of the best speakers in the country that will, um, that will literally knock you off your feet. I've also got an incredible actor who you will recognize. I'm not giving you his name because this is a surprise. And he's one of the one of the most incredible motivational speakers I've ever seen. He's going to be making a surprise appearance. Uh, we've also got Vinny Montez, the incredible comedian, who is also a police commander in Colorado. He's going to be putting on a comedy performance. And at the end, this is amazing, the Ahern Hotel where we're holding this is uh, holding a concert and ACDC, the number one ACDC tribute band in the country, is going to be performing at the Ahern, and they are going to be helping raise money for the Wounded Blue. So it's September 26th to the 29th. Go to thewoundedblue.org and sign up for this today. Uh, we've got a few seats left. Uh, we, want to, uh, we want to affect as many lives as possible. And uh, so go to thewoundedblue.org, scroll down to the third annual National Law Enforcement Survival Summit. It's only 295 bucks. We feed you breakfast and lunch, give you entertainment. There's nothing like it, and there never has been. Um, when the Wounded Blue throws a conference, it's not like any other conference. Go to thewoundedblue.org and also see what we do. If you, are, uh, if you want to support the Wounded Blue, I urge you, hit that donate button, give 10 bucks a month, 20 bucks a month, whatever you can afford. These men and women deserve heroes like you. So let's bring John back in. Hey, John. So hey there. Um, let's go back to where you were um, when you were talking about the development of this these cuffs, and you you uh, you flummoxed the uh, the expert at the shot show, and uh, I'm yeah, sure that, that was, was very satisfying for you. Very prideful moment. <laughs> the. Um, what I was going to say is, uh, in relation again back to your stats that you shared a little while ago, unfortunately, NIJ, National Institute of Justice, does not record officer injury or deaths uh, due to specific circumstances like the failure of handcuffs. Uh, we see videos these days, we hear, you know, as a side note, uh, every once in a while that, you know, ex bad guy got out of handcuffs. Uh, you know, got out of the patrol car, broke the windshield, whatever, fight ensued, damage, etc. Officer injury, officer death. But they don't record it. So unfortunately, we don't have good stats on the, the actual failures of these. But we all know what it is. That is the number one reason I sat down to improve these. Officer safety. The, there's, a, there's a family history in this. 
The company that I, I started is called Murphy Military and Police Supply for a reason. My mother's father, my maternal grandfather, was Frank Murphy. Frank was a New York City police officer back in the 20s. He, um, he was a patrolman in the NYPD motorcycle squad number two. On August 7th, 1926, Frank was chasing bad guys through Brooklyn, New York. They had stolen a car. He was pursuing them to obviously stop them and stop the crime that they were committing. During this pursuit, my grandfather was fired upon. Uh, one of the bad guys in the back seat of this car was leaning out of the window and just like an old black and white movie, he was firing a Thompson machine gun at my grandfather. Wow. My grandfather, yeah, my grandfather returned fire uh, on these individuals. His uh, six shooter, his revolver was empty when, uh, when um, his help arrived and uh, they found him. But uh, anyway, during this pursuit, uh, four of those rounds that were fired from the pursuing vehicle hit my grandfather. He was struck four times on the left side of his body. And on Sunday, August 8th, 1926, he succumbed to his injuries and died. It's in his honor uh, that I named the company Murphy. Um, my mother at the time was three years old. My then to be born uncle Frank uh, had not obviously been born. My grandmother was pregnant with him and named uh, my uncle after her husband, her deceased husband. But that's where the homage to the family. So the NYPD has an angel uh, wing about it for all the angel families uh, that are related to anyone in the department that has lost their life and duty. And they've also done something else that was a huge honor for our family and in posthumous to my grandfather. Motorcycle squad number two, uh, their FOP in the NYPD is named after my grandfather, Frank Murphy. So that's where the name came from and really from his legacy, carrying on that name and now to hopefully in the future protect lives because of the failures of the old ones. That's, that's what encompassed all of this work on my behalf to make these things safer for every duty officer on the street. One, one last thing, if I may, uh, if you look at when you were in uniform, your time in uniform, look at my brief time, right? My seven years in uniform. Can you think of, comparatively, can you think of anything on an officer's uniform today that's the same as it was 10 or 20 years ago, with the exception of the handcuffs? No, you're absolutely right. And and I have, mm -mm. I have my own stories about uh, people getting out of my handcuffs. Uh, Mm. I've seen it. I've seen it happen. Um, there are some very, very savvy bad guys out there. Um, one mm -hmm. guy, one guy that I was dealing with, actually had a handcuff key uh, uh, taped to the inside of his belt, um, where his hands would be sh should he be handcuffed by the police, and uh, mm -hmm. he actually utilized that. So you're a hundred percent right. This is uh, this is a. A, an incredible improvement on the product. Now, have you found any, yeah. has there been any one, any, any uh, way of getting out of these cuffs? Uh, no, what I've done is I've actually looked at 14 vulnerabilities with the design of the handcuff. 
And those 14 things encompass not only strength and obviously the redesign of the locking mechanism, but also size differences too. Uh, my old peerless handcuffs, my wife can slide them off in their final locking position. You know, and I've had females that I've arrested that have done this as well. They can slide out of them. What I've done is in the interaction between the locking mechanism and what is known as the bow, and that's the piece that wraps around your wrist, right? is I have changed the interaction between those two things to make these handcuffs actually lock in a smaller position and lock in a larger position to accommodate both smaller and larger wrists. So, so far, nobody has been able to get out of them. So that's pretty cool. That's very cool. Now, one of the things that, that uh, I had to do on more than one occasion with a very, with a very, very large person was had to link two pairs of handcuffs together. Um, mm -hmm. How does how does your product uh, does is that still something that has to be done with a with a person who's very very large? Possible. I mean, if they're you know pretty stout and you can't get their arms behind their back together, possibly. But the big improvement in that is um, I've actually used leg irons on some guys because they're so big. Yes. Uh, and then you have, of course, you know, I don't like giving them an 18 inch chain as a weapon, but, uh, you know, sometimes you had to use leg irons to get them around. What I found is, uh, so far, and I have, they're big guys. I'm sure I'm, you know, somebody's going to run into somebody that you still have to use leg irons on their wrist. But so far I've been able to lock some pretty, pretty hefty guys, you know, with pretty good size wrists. But yes, if they can't put their arms behind their back close enough, you may still have to engage two sets of cuffs just because of the distance between, you know, between the wrists. Right. But um, like I said, they're made to hold bigger and smaller people uh, without having to worry about getting those things off. All right. So one of the things that, that comes to mind when I think about what you've created, first of all, inventing something that uh, I, I, I have, I have a great deal of respect for you. That's, that's a big deal. Getting a patent. It's quite a process. Going through that process. <laughs> how long did it take you to get a patent? Well, uh, when I sat down with my buddy Bill, it took us 13 months to get the design right. Uh, I've learned so much because this was the first, uh, obviously, manufacturing type process I've ever been through. So uh, I had to learn all about CAD and, and I had to learn about how things fit together and clearances and all this stuff. So 13 months of production in just the drawings to get all of the internal works on paper to act the way they're supposed to. And when you do the three, 3D CAD animations uh, that tell you, yes, it looks like it's going to work. Well, that's great until you actually put them into manufacturing <laughs> and then you find out there's a second phase of this thing. But uh, so 13 months of uh, design. Once I submitted for the patent, it was three years before wow. the patent came through. Three yeah. years. Three years. And then I had the wonderful experience of this thing you might remember called the China virus. <laughs> mm. Yeah, that screwed us up. Um, the uh, uh, Let's be politically correct, COVID. Uh, COVID interrupted, as you know, the supply line for everything. And these things are made out of steel. So uh, a lot of the steel, unfortunately, in this country comes from China. So we had some supply issues and uh, we've gotten backed up because of supply issues. But fortunately now in 2023, uh, all is good. We have steel supplies to make them. 
we have manufacturing in place, everything's good to go. All right, so let, let me ask you that, that question. You, you have this, this great grand idea, you go through all of the machinations to get a patent, to do the design, and then finally you put a prototype together. What would have happened if the prototype didn't work? Uh, well, that would have been part of the manufacturing phase. Um, fortunately, uh, my guy who did the design engineering is very smart. <laughs> uh, I didn't have any of those worries. It worked from the very first prototype I made, which was actually a 3D plastic one. Uh, the locking mechanism in the 3D plastic worked perfectly. And uh, this that I showed you earlier, this is a second round manufacturing prototype in all steel and uh, yeah, they work flawlessly. So fortunately I didn't have to worry about that. Wow. Uh, here is, here's one thing I did do though too. In, um, in the transition period, because there's obviously gonna be a transition period when these get instituted by police departments, the key design is the only thing that's really different in respect to when I give these to you to use, you can use them. There's there's no learning curve. They operate exactly the way any other handcuff you've you've known your whole life. What I've done though is I had to do something about this. And if you see my key here, triple flag key, right? Hopefully yes. that's uh, that visual is working. Yes. So what I had to do was I had to come up with something to bridge the transition from that old single flag key to this new key. So what I've done is I've actually created with my second engineer, a guy named Fred uh, Schmechter. He, uh, he has designed for me and we've uh, gotten into the patenting process for two hybrid keys. One, a pen key that would fit in your breast pocket where the uh, I used that primarily for my for all my handcuffing, but a pen key that fits in your pocket and the uh, the primary end will have the new Murphy key, the, the you know, the um, triple flag. But if you unscrew the cap on the other end of the pen key, it's got the old single flag key. So if you and I were exchanging somebody and you know, you had the old cuffs, I have the new cuffs. If you have a key like that, you can obviously take my cuffs as well. And then we've designed a couple of other versions that are fold out keys that fit on your key ring and everything else. So again, uh, during the transition period, old to new, if we have that uh, that key, those hybrid keys, everybody's good to go. But here's a big caveat. Uh, I'm pushing my legislator here in Pennsylvania, and um, he's a U.S. Senator. I'm pushing him to see if we can get some kind of legislation that makes the new Murphy handcuff and all of my key designs, whether it's the standard key or the hybrid key, to be um, specialized and classified for police and military use only. Uh, I am not ever going to allow these to be sold on Amazon. Uh, if they're in like a Safari Land store or any other police supplier, they're going to be regulated, and this is the goal, to be regulated so that the general public cannot have access to these keys um, to protect, again, our officer safety. Uh, we can't allow these keys to get out and have anybody get a hold of them. And then, like you said, you arrest the guy who has a key stuck in his belt. Right. All right, so um, a question about, we know from our experience that um, change on any level in law enforcement is seen as uh, something negative, no matter what the change is. I remember transitioning. And monumentous. 
<laughs> transitioning from a from a, a, a wheel gun from a six shooter to a semi-automatic mm -hmm. was oh my god you may as i mean this is this was monumental um mm -hmm. so even change even changing the 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 color of of uh of an item when it comes down to paperwork seems to make people lose their minds so have you been running into i mean you're you're you're, you're a very new entity, a very new company. How mm -hmm. are police agencies uh, dealing with, uh, with, with, this new, with this new innovation? Well, you're absolutely right. I've gotten pushback only on one item, and that's the key design. And uh, it, it cracks me up because that's the problem. The key is the problem. <laughs> right, right. The uh, every every department I've spoken to departments literally all over the U.S., Canada, Europe, Australia. I even have an eight-man department in the Caribbean that's interested in my handcuffs. And the only, like I said, the only pushback I've gotten is, "Well, we want to use the old key," and I'm like, "Guys, <laughs> that's the problem. They're, they're, they operate exactly the same. You can't have the old key." And I try to use the adage of, "Okay, what if I sold you my house, Randy?" Am I going to keep the keys, you know, and you keep the keys so I can get in whenever I want? No, you're going to obviously change the locks on the house you bought from me. Um, that's the only pushback I've gotten. Other than that, I've got a 100% positive response to, yeah, we need new handcuffs. Everybody recognizes the problems and the flaws in these things. So we need these. So you, you've, you've, received, um, you've received really positive response from from agencies um how does that translate to making sales i mean is i know that you know working with the government is not an easy task mm -hmm. so um are they embracing this on a on a, a level that um you're comfortable with that you're seeing the growth and you 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 see that there's because you have you've got to have a massive investment in this as well you know, and then yeah. <laughs> and then you know, putting putting a sales force together and all that. I mean, you know, you, is on the face of it, you think, oh, okay, you know, he invented some handcuffs, but all of the mm -hmm. nuance that goes with this, and all of the the pain of of uh, of marketing a new product, uh, it's got to mm -hmm. be a, a, a really serious challenge. Uh, absolutely. And again, these were things I knew nothing about starting this project. But uh, fortunately, I have a company out of Washington State called Advisor Tactical. Uh, they are a special uh, specialty uh, law enforcement and military provider of weaponry and sundries. Uh, these are guys uh, that uh, literally, if you need a special knife for duty, you need a special sniper rifle, whatever, um, they can have it made and get it to you. So they're uh, they're spearheading at at least for the beginning of this the uh, sales and distribution through their network throughout the U.S. I too am a one man <laughs> band. I have uh, I've reached out now individually to or personally rather to eleven thousand police departments. Uh, I have had multiple Zoom calls now with police departments to introduce these to them. Um, I'm learning now about this phase with the government regulations for every, you know, government governmental agency that um, you know oversees those police departments in every jurisdiction, how their purchasing works and when their purchasing works, 
um, you know, the red tape, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, it's a bit of an, uh, an uphead. Oh, let's try that again. It is a bit <laughs> of an uphill battle, uh, but I'm learning. And, uh, you know, every day that I reach out and I talk to new people, investors included, I'm, uh, I'm actually still, as we discussed uh, in some previous uh, emails, I'm still looking for an investor to help me because uh, I'm several hundred thousand dollars into this project. I'll bet. And I'm not a rich man. I hope to be one day, but I'm not a rich man. So I'm, uh, you know, I'm looking for somebody financially to help me to do this. And of course, to have more of those internal connections uh, for police agencies to get the word out. Yeah. All right. So where can people find you and contact you? Uh, you can get me two places. Uh, our website, it's kind of rudimentary, but you can certainly reach through our website. It's murphymps.com. And my email is john at murphymps.com you can find me on linkedin under murphy uh military and police supply uh or just call me my my number is registered as a public number uh so you can call me 615-987-3675 and um, i'd love to do an intro with uh, any department that's interested and uh chat with uh, them about the benefits of how these things can protect and save our lives well, I, I thank you for your uh, for your work. I have absolutely no doubt that your product will save lives, and um, and I'm, I'm very happy you made the time to join me here at the Wounded Blue Hour. And uh, John Malone, inventor, entrepreneur, former police officer, <laughs> former military. I wish you nothing but luck, and uh, and I know that your product is gonna is gonna kick some ass. Thank you so much, Randy. I greatly appreciate your time. Thank you. So as we wrap up today's broadcast, um, I'm going to ask this of you. I want you to go to thewoundedblue.org. I want you to see what we do. If you are a law enforcement officer, you want to know about us because so many law enforcement officers are suffering needlessly. You know, when you get injured in the line of duty, whether that injury is physical or emotional and psychological, it's a very lonely place to be. I know, I've been there. Um, my entire team, the peer advocate support team of the Wounded Blue, are made up of police officers just like you who have suffered greatly, both physically and emotionally and psychologically. And yet they continue to serve, and they continue to serve because they believe in something greater than themselves. And uh, we are literally saving lives. I can tell you that um, it's not infrequent where I will, I will get a phone call or a message from someone that one of my teammates has worked with saying, Randy, if it weren't for the Wounded Blue, I wouldn't be here right now. It's that important. The mission is that important. So if you are a law enforcement officer and you're troubled and you're going through some stuff, Remember, you don't have to walk that journey alone. That's, I don't know if you can see my shirt, but my shirt says never forgotten, never alone. Those are the words of the wounded blue. Now, if you want to support these men and women, I, I ask you to do that. Uh, go to thewoundedblue.org, hit that donate button, give what you can. Uh, I am really looking for $10, $20 a month donations to uh, you know, be on an on a ongoing basis, recurring because that's the only way that we can continue to serve the, the people that we serve. Um, I take no salary, 
and we push everything back into the organization. So go to thewoundedblue.org. And once again, let me let me pitch the, the National Law Enforcement Survival Summit one more time. It's going to be September 26th through the 29th in Las Vegas at the fabulous Ahern Hotel. The rooms are, are minimally priced. The, the cost for the conference is $295. That includes breakfast and lunch, entertainment. It's going to be an amazing conference. So don't miss it. If you know a cop, tell them about it. If you love a cop, pay for it for them. And uh, we are also urge that those who attend this, those active duty officers and retired officers, bring their spouse. Because when you're suffering, they're suffering. We have specific programs just for the spouses. So go to thewoundedblue.org, see what we do, see who we are, give what you can, and remember that you are never forgotten and you are never alone. And that's what the Wounded Blue is all about. So thanks so much for joining me on another episode of the Wounded Blue Hour here on the America Out Loud Network. And I'm your host, Randy Sutton. You can contact me personally, randy at thewoundedblue.org. If you want to sponsor the National Law Enforcement Survival Summit or any of our programs, contact me, randy at thewoundedblue.org. And I will see you again here next week at the Wounded Blue Hour. Thanks so much. 